You're listening to the Regeneration Church Podcast. My name is Kyle, and I'm glad you're here. The Spirit was just moving in such a way that people just were hungry, like God was doing a thing. This fall, we're doing a teaching series around the Jesus People movement that arose in the late 1960s to consider how what God was doing then might be something he wants to do now. I wanted this to be more than just a history lesson, so I asked my friend Mike McCoy, who's a pastor in the Vineyard Movement in San Francisco, a friend through 3DM, a discipleship network we're a part of, to share his story of coming to faith and being discipled in the Jesus People Movement. You're going to be blown away by what you hear in these podcasts, which will be dropping all throughout the series. So take a listen. It's going to be exciting. So in terms of in, the inn was really just built around Jesus being here. And so, you know, one of our Greek words that we liked during the Jesus movement was koinonia, you know, the idea of fellowship. And, you know, what we're supposed to be is we're in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And um, I love a thing Paul McConaughey says about spiritual feudalism and then, you know, movemental, a movemental church. And he'll say, you know, in a movemental church, you're in is about being brothers and sisters. And I would say that was, again, one of the Jesus movement things was really this idea that we are brothers and sisters. We're part of a family, which is then what led, I think, to some of the community living, you know, people living in a house together, people living on ranches together. There was a lot of that kind of thing. And so Marianne and I, so, um, after we had been married and I was on Young Life staff, we got a duplex and we invited a lot of the single Young Life leaders that we were working with to come and live with us in the duplex. Mm-hmm. And so we just created a community. But it felt normal. It's like, well, that's what's in the Bible. It seems like that's what Jesus and the early church did. Why wouldn't we do that? And I would say that was one of the other things about the Jesus movement is there was a radical commitment to obey. It's like, if you saw it in the scripture, you felt, and it wasn't so much of an intellectual thing. It was, a, it was like a spiritual conviction of, we got to do this. Like, okay, we got to figure out, you know, why did the early church live in community and why did they share possessions and what does that mean for us and how do we do that? And sometimes we were too literal, I would say. Um, but I would say that there was this, this devotion of like, hey, if Jesus said it, we got to figure it out. Um and so on the end, there was a lot of that community living. Um, and I don't know how much you, you know, like you said, you're listening to Keith Green, but like even some of the music, if you go back and listen to it, you're like, I'm like, wow, this is like, no wonder we did what we did. But one of the favorite songs, you know, was they will know we are Christians by our love. It's just straight, you know, it's just out of John. And so for us, it, it was like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta do this, man. We gotta, 
we got to love each other the way Jesus loved each other. And, and again, when you, when you're some of the, cause some people in the Jesus movement have been raised in the church, you know, but they had reject, you know, there were none and dones back in the sixties and seventies. And, you know, they were, it was like all these young people said, no, I'm not going to do that. But, but really what they were pushing on, which happens to people as we get older, we just don't have the devotion. It's that love. It's the love thing. And so when God begins to stir that up, it's like people said, we're going to love each other the way Jesus loves us. So people in these communes and communities and different houses pop up and they're trying to figure out how to love each other. They're sharing me. I mean, it's all the stuff we talk about in 3DM. Share meals together. It wasn't intentional. I will say that. It wasn't as intentional as we would talk about family on mission and that stuff. But it's meals together. It's sharing life together. Um, it's helping raise each other's kids. It's all those things that are just kind of in stuff. And then I would say on the out, the idea that you share Jesus with people was just like what you do. You just, you know, sometimes even to, to a degree of being obnoxious. I mean, sometimes I look back and go, how did anybody get saved? We were so obnoxious, um, you know, because you would like, it would be, if you got around a group of Christians, it was like, somebody's going to start talking to you, to you about Jesus. But I think one of the things that was different as time went on is it was, it felt organic and natural. It's like, Jesus is just a guy I'm in love with, and I'm just going to talk to you about him. So I remember even when I was in high school, being at parties and there'd be these young men and young women who had started following Jesus and they're involved in young life. And you'd be at a party and they just kind of come up and start talking to you about Jesus. Like, hi, how you doing? You know, and are you doing okay? I saw in class the other day, you know, it seemed like you were kind of angry about something, you know, well, can I tell you about Jesus? Cause you know, he loves you even when you're angry. I mean, there were just these conversations, but it wasn't like, I have to share with you is like, Ooh, I get to share with somebody. And so as time went on, there were different intentional things. You've heard of the four spiritual laws, right. And, mm -hmm. you know, like those things began to develop and then, um, you know, other sorts of things. There was one campaign called I found it, which was a bumper sticker. <clears throat> and if you believed in Jesus, you'd put this bumper sticker on your car. I, I found it. And then the idea was that people would ask you, well, what did you find? And then you start talking about, I found God, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Bad theology because it's really God found you, but you know, <laughs> you know, there's only so much you can fit on a bumper sticker. Exactly. And, and so it's always funny as I look back on some of this stuff, like that God used these things, you know, it's like today we would say for spiritualized, man, it's so rote and it's, it, it assumes everybody's in the same place, but I mean, thousands upon thousands of people got saved. I mean, <clears throat> in the vineyard, one of the legends of the vineyard is because uh, many vineyard pastors came out of Calvary Chapel. So right. um, one of the things they, they would do these concerts in the tent at Calvary Chapel and the tent held a few thousand people, but the things were going so crazy that people would show up like they'd have 200 uh, young folks there before like an hour before the concert. So one of the guys, um, uh, Tom, who was one of the key leaders and eventually became a vineyard pastor in Denver, he was talking to his buddies and he goes, I bet I can go out there and do a five minute testimony with these like 250 kids and half of them will come to faith. 
And they said, no way, they're not here for that. And he goes, I bet you watch. And he goes out and he does a quick thing on John 3, 16, 250 kids there, 200 of them, of them come to faith. And in, I remember talking to Tom, I was at a meeting, a lunch thing and talking, I said, is that really a true thing? He goes, yes, it is. And he goes, and it had nothing to do. He goes, I was an arrogant punk. I mean, think about the arrogance of that. Oh, I'm going to go out and share this. And people, yeah. he goes, the spirit was just moving in such a way that people just were hungry. Like God was doing a thing where people were hungry the zeitgeist of the times were such that people were scared. I mean, you know, there's the Vietnam war, there was riots and, you know, in the streets, race, race things going on that were pretty, you know, Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. I mean, there is all this stuff going on that's really scaring people. And then in the midst of this, you have guys like Hal Lindsey that are writing books and people are buying into this idea. Like the end times are about here. And most people, didn't even have theology on the end times. I mean, it's interesting. Most mainline churches, the Catholic church, none of these people had any theology of end times, mm -hmm. but how Lindsay writes this book. And all of a sudden people are going, that's right. Jesus is going to, could this be the time? And then right. the, are you ready? You know, which yeah. Larry Norman wrote, wrote a song about that. And Keith Green had songs about like, are you guys ready? Like he's yeah. coming back. Are you ready? Well, that just somehow gets in the atmosphere and a bunch of people are going, Oh crap, I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you hit on something in the beginning of Larry Eskridge's book. Like the first paragraph of his book is, you know, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, America is reeling from like five cultural shifts. And you named a couple of them. So like the Vietnam War and like political anarchy, the Kent State shooting, which is 45 minutes from me, um, happened then. Um you have race-related riots and unrest in most major cities, um, a sexual revolution driven by like the public release of the pill. Yep. Um, he, and then like a massive kind of underground drug culture becoming more and more mainstream. And he named those four things. And I was like, that's kind of now. Um, we're oh, yes. living in a similar state of political unrest, racial unrest, a very different, but a very similar sexual revolution. Um, and at least in my corner of the world, um, we're kind of at, an, at a lot of intersection of interstates. And so there's like opioids are just like ransacking our community. And so yeah. Yeah. it does seem, I think what you're hitting on though, Mike, that's important is that there was a supernatural, like the Lord was doing something right. to create a like, he was doing something supernaturally to create a hunger in a generation that that's not entirely manufacturable. Like you can't. No. Yeah. No. no, no. In fact, as I've reflected on it, we've actually had a lot of conversations in our staff about that because most of the people on my vineyard staff were young life leaders with me or in another club. And it, so it's like within young life, when I was on young life staff from about 72 to about 78, um, for about three years, our clubs averaged per weekly club around 225 kids per club. Yeah. And those numbers, I mean, by 80s, those numbers were dropping fast. And mm -hmm. today there's no clubs like that. Mm -hmm. Nowhere close. And so there's this, this spiritual hunger trying to understand how it gets, like how, how 
how does that get going? And I think one of the one of the things, though, I do think is true, is what one of the things the Holy Spirit did is raised up communicators like, you know, Chuck Smith and some of the people that were on his staff, um, people that were working with young leaders that maybe left their church or, you know, like went down to the beach where kids are hanging out or went to coffee shops. I mean, there was a ton of coffee shops because, you know, culturally too, is the whole hippie movement going on, Mm -hmm. which, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like hardcore hippies, but there's a lot of people that are buying the values of the culture, which is comes to concepts like, you know, free love and, um, you know, getting high a little bit is, you know, which is kind of this, um, altering your consciousness kind of experience. I mean, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of that stuff in the drinking water and, and so I think what happened is like a Chuck Smith looked at it and rather than rejecting it and John Wimber and Carol Wimber did the same thing because people were telling them, you need to come down on these young folks. And both mm-hmm. Chuck Smith and John Wimber did again, what we try to train people in 3DM to do is okay. Look at the historical context and the biographies and say, well, what's bad news for these people? And then what's good news in this? So the good news, in fact, I, one of my best friends that eventually was on Young Life staff with me, the way he came to Christ, and I get, this will be on the tape. You can edit it if you want. I won't say his name. Uh, he's still a good friend. He doesn't live in my area, but he's still a good friend. He dropped LSD 30 straight days, which he, today he would go, I don't know how my brain survived. I don't know how my body survived. Yeah. But he did, but he did say this is in dropping it, what happened towards the last 15 days, it didn't have the punch. And on the last day, Jesus said, So are you done? Because I can give you a high that drugs will never ever give you. And and I said, he you said Jesus said that. he goes, Yep. And, and to this day, he'll say, Jesus spoke to me and told me what I was looking for is a supernatural experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's really what drugs are about is mm-hmm. it's about a way to get, you know, distanced and overcome from the pain of life and the suffering of life and the angst mm-hmm. and all of those sorts of things. And that's a pretty human desire, but what, you know, what the gospel tells us is that Jesus can do that for us, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have Paul and he talked, and my friend would say, you know, I read that verse where Paul said he was in the third heaven and, LSD will never get you in the third heaven. And I just, you know, and we still chuckle about that because he's like, yeah. hey, that's just this, this longing. And so in, in the culture, it's like there were people telling the good news of Jesus. And, and rather than telling young folks, you need to repent and leave all that, as they said, that's actually a desire in you that what you're looking for, like intimacy and connectedness won't happen through sex. Random, especially random sex, it's not going to happen. So, people just be- began to kind of hear that and and change their lives because they were so experientially oriented. Like after a while, you realize drugs don't get it done. You realize sex doesn't get it done, and that's really part of what happened to me. Is you know I'm doing, I was more of a drinker than a drug guy, but it was like you know this isn't working. Like I'm not mm-hmm. happy. And for me with the abortion, which I think is what happened to a lot of people, there were, there were these events that happened that you just look at and go, oh my gosh, this doesn't work. And I do Mm -hmm. see, I think we're there today. I think we're there today where, you know, again, all the human sexuality issues, the drug issues, like you're, you're saying on, 
um, some of the opioids. People are just going, this isn't good. And it's the people that have used them that are the voice of saying. And so I think we have a gospel in Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to really share with people like, hey, you know, this is, there's some good news for your life. And so way back in the day, it really was things like, you know, with the war, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I remember people just really pressing into that. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. What does that look like? I mean, people began to take what Jesus said seriously, because it really is good news to a broken world.